trying to make it right These people won't let me go I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow I'm just trying to make it right These people won't let me go Let me grow, let me go Let me grow, let me go They should know, they should know They should know, they should know I'm just trying to live my life I just need space to grow Welcome to the Tea with Brie. I'm your host, Brie. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Brie podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start with my guest's bio, an intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I am joined by my guest, Elise Kennedy. Elise uses she, her pronouns, is a therapist located in Austin, Texas, who specializes in working with trauma, perinatal mental health, and child and adolescence counseling. She has a private practice, moving parts psychotherapy in South Austin, where she sees children, adults, couples, and families. She is also a mental health advocate who offers information accessibly through Instagram. Hello, Elise. Hi. How are you this morning? I am good. Just letting that coffee sink in. I feel you. I decided today to give up coffee. So we'll see how long this goes. <laughs> We're doing a cold turkey situation. Wow. Yeah. So it's what? November 15th. We'll see how long this lasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I support you in that journey. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I'm, I always find it funny as of recently recording via Zoom. Uh, you're probably one of like four guests who I've never met in person. But we did have like our little Zoom hang that one time. So yeah, thanks to the internet during quarantine times because life makes no sense. But yeah, I just want to hop right on in because the reason why we originally connected is, you know, via Instagram and the stuff you do on your page and how beautiful it is. And I just, I just have really loved watching that. And so today's topic we're going to talk about is discussing like mental health trauma and anything else that really comes from that but um, I know in a couple of previous episodes I've talked with my friend Sam about trauma my friend Carly is a therapist um, my friend Charlotte and I talked about grief but I think being able to talk to another therapist of the complexity of trauma and mental health and all that stuff is just going to be beautiful um, especially because last night I kind of went into a shame cycle and so that was really fun said no one ever but yeah I, <laughs> I, I, I often think of and I've mentioned it on the show before uh, I started going to therapy when I was 15 it's like I'm very like self-aware and can sit and analyze and, and come to like what is like actually at the root of my issue um, so I think like to get started like what got you into therapy yeah very similar to you I was lucky to have the privilege to go to therapy starting from the age of 10. And I saw that same therapist until I left for college. Um, And that was just a really important piece of my childhood was seeing my therapist. I looked forward to seeing her every week. And sometimes I would just tell her about NSYNC and that was fine. Um, And sometimes I had some more 
intense moments in therapy um, because I experienced immense uh, depression and anxiety in childhood. And then in adulthood, um, I ended up going to a therapist in my early 20s after experiencing a series of traumas really close together. Um, and that therapist really transformed how I thought about mental health by actually naming what I had gone through as trauma. Um, I hadn't thought of it that way. And even though that therapist wasn't a great fit, um, just to have her label what had happened as trauma was really transformative for me. And after uh, spending time in the music industry and not being able to make the impact I'd like in the music industry because I really wanted to help up and coming bands, I decided to stop helping whiny white men and start helping people who actually needed help. And so I applied to grad school and here I am. Here you are. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I always often, I find it interesting of like the therapists who I've known who have gone to therapy themselves and like that led them to go to therapy, kind of like that paying it forward. And I often tell people like, that's how I originally got into social work, like losing my mom and having people kind of rally around me. I felt the need to kind of pay it back. Um, so yeah, I just always, always find that interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know where to go. I, I mean, I can talk about <laughs> any and anything as far as like mental health stuff goes. Um, like I said last night, I, um, my roommate and I were, we just were actually really good friends, but um, she had said something and it triggered me into like a shame cycle that my family used to do. It's like, we sat and had the conversation, but like my family used to be very shamey in order to get people to do things. And obviously like that wasn't her intention and we talked about it, but it was just so interesting. Like me at 30 thinking I had like worked through things um, and just like the ability for someone to say something you're like, oh crap, like <laughs> that is still so like in there. Um, so yeah, I just always think about that of like, we think it's easy to like just feel and see how you can go from like being everything's fine and then like really sitting with the thing of like, cause I, I, I like shut down. Like I'm the kind of person who like shuts down and goes really inward. And so like, usually I can just brush things off and, and keep going from there, but I'm trying to get better <laughs> like saying things. Um, cause I, I, that's just how I process is like, okay, take a minute, bring it all in. What are you really feeling? Um, and then also like, is it worth me bringing up and saying, so I often think about that of like, as we grow up and become adults and start having like quote unquote adult relationships and friendships of like, you are showing up as your full self into these relationships. And that means coming with, with me 30 years of every experience I've had, every trauma I've had and like bringing it into a space. And so I just always think of how we are still processing constantly, even when you think you've kind of, kind of worked through something. And that's what I often think about with trauma is like, it's like, it never really leaves you. You just learn how to live with it and, and go from there. Yeah, I I love that you mentioned that because I've been thinking a lot lately um, on my Instagram. Um, I do the I do like Sunday questions where people can ask me questions that they have. And every week I get questions like, can you ever fully heal from trauma? 
Mm-hmm. And at, for a while, I was thinking to myself, like, yes, like I did. I came out the other side. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm so much better now because um, I've been going to therapy and my whole life and I continue to go to therapy. But then as I've been thinking more about the complexities of that and noticing that same thing as you that I consider us, I think, in the perspective of us all having these parts of us that live inside and sometimes our child parts get triggered from adult interactions. Um, And so while I consider myself like you to be able to think about it a lot more and recognize what's happening for myself so I know how to better take care of myself, I have shifted my perspective and recognize that we can like contain the trauma we've experienced we can shift the impact that it has on us so that it doesn't maybe come up in the same way that it once did but i think i've shifted to recognizing that we can't necessarily fully heal from it it just maybe gets tampered down and shows up in different ways Um, especially because the triggers are never going to go away. Um, They show up so sneakily out of nowhere. Like uh, for me, especially having kids, um, I notice my triggers really show up with my kids. And when I end up talking to my therapist about stuff that that's happening with my kids, I'm like, oh yeah, that's, not about them, that's about my own stuff from when I was in school. Um, It's such a complex thing how trauma surfaces and it's really complex whether it can fully be healed. Yeah, for me, I've been thinking about trauma and how it relates to grief. And for me, like I suffered losses of folks when I was like super young, I think I was seven or eight when I attended my first funeral and it was for one of my cousins who was younger than me there was an accident and so like back then like from the time I was like seven or eight I was so obsessed with the idea of death like to the point that it became like it was like it was causing me so much anxiety like my mom was like you have to stop worrying you're you're nine years old (laughs) like it was just to a point of like not with like not her validating my feelings but it was just like this thing of like what happens Where, where do we go what's what's next like like everyone who who always wonders like what's after what, ha- what happens after this life if you're spiritual is something that really happens um so I always I often think about that and I've mentioned on the show before like I've gotten to a point that like now it's just like it's a with as far as like death is concerned it's become this thing of like I think I've worked through that anxiety so much that I'm like whenever it happens it happens and I think that's why I like live my life to a point that I'm just like life's too short and nothing's promised. And I think, you know, I'm grateful for that sort of like trauma of it because I think it's taught me a lot. But on the other half of like losing a parent when I was 15, I have like such a respect for things of the grieving process of, especially like now that I'm getting older and thinking about having kids, there's like so much stuff that I think about. Like this year, I took the time not to date and really focus on why my dating habits were so bad. And it was like trauma from the bad relationship I had with my dad to like my mom passing when I was 15 and not really trusting people to love me long-term because the two people that were couldn't or didn't. 
Um, and then also like becoming a parent, like what happens to me? What happens to my kid if something happens to me? And, you know, as we get older and start losing more and more people, it's, it's interesting how, like how easily a trigger can come up. Like when I, I think about like, like I said, like raising kids or something that happens with my mom or something in relation to her and how like we think we've processed it and still like grief isn't something you get over. I guess what I'm trying to say is grief isn't something you get over. And I think trauma is the same way. You just like learn how to live with it and how to process it. But then like this morning I was watching something on Instagram and it was from the Princess Diaries movie and how at one point Mia says, like, at least your dad's still here. And Lily goes, I thought you were getting over that. It's been like two months. And how I'd like never noticed that until someone pointed out today. I was like, it has been two months <laughs> that this friend is asking her her other friend to like stop grieving a parent. And I was like, so now I'm like going thing like, is it because she's uncomfortable, doesn't know how to say anything? Is it like, so it's like, it was me like unpacking all that and just being like, again, how gatekeepy we can be around trauma and grief. Yeah. Uh Wow, I will have to go back and watch the Princess <laughs> Diaries. Uh, I I was a big fan um, of both the book and the movie. The books um, are so good, by the way. I'm so like, good. I loved the books. <laughs> I used to literally like read them over and over again. So good. Which side note was uh, because I read uh, the Virgin Suicide before I think I read The Princess Diaries and that gave me death anxiety like mm. like you had but in a different way uh, tied up with some other things but yeah I think when we think about trauma and grief we have a lot of helpful helpful ways to look at it like in thinking about it in a neuroscience perspective, um, which has been really helpful for me because it can help to normalize it. But in that, sometimes when we think about it in a neuroscience perspective, what gets lost is that grief and trauma are unique to everyone. Um, and I think sometimes I've felt the call to advocate on Instagram for mental health because I recognize how inaccessible mental health care is for people. And if I can help to provide information in a way that's accessible, um, it might help somebody who doesn't have access to mental health care or who doesn't understand what's happening for them and it can help to normalize it. But it gets complex exactly because of what you're saying. Um, because while we want it to be normalized and we want to know that we're not alone and that what we're experiencing is normal, it can take away some of the unique experiences that we all have in how we grieve and how we respond to trauma. Yeah, my friend Sam um, was on a previous episode and we were talking about trauma. Um, and recently Sam started using their Instagram to talk about like things they go through in therapy. And it was interesting to see their perspective of other accounts that aren't therapists, but try to be therapists on Instagram. And so I think that's, what's been really refreshing about your page or your Instagram specifically is you are an actual therapist making mental health accessible 
which I've also talked about the accessibility of mental health um, on two other episodes with my friends who are also therapists. Um, but yeah, just just seeing how many accounts like give out advice and it's not like actual mental health professionals and how dangerous that can be. And um, also like not being able to give like, I don't want to say proper resources, but that's the only way I can think of it of like, uh, this isn't like us sitting down for a full on therapy session, but here are some tips and tools I can give you from a actual person whose job this is, who may be able to respond to you in the comments or via a message. Um, but yeah, I think about that often and I didn't, I didn't think about it until Sam brought it to my attention of how dangerous that can be of like, there's a difference between like having a page that is like positivity and like affirmations, all that stuff, but then also like just giving out or like saying your account is a mental health account, but you're not trained about it. And, and again, how dangerous that can be. And honestly, how it can turn people off to therapy, right? Like if this is what people think it's going to be and, and then it's not and it causes them even more anxiety or trauma than I think it just is, is a really difficult cycle that people can get into. Yeah. Uh, there's been a, I think what I've learned in the Instagram space is to take in the, the accounts of mental health professionals, but also take in the accounts of people with lived experience mm -hmm. um, because I think it's a great advocacy space to build community um, for people who have lived experience um, in mental health struggles. And a lot of the pages for people with lived experience don't delve out specific advice. They're just talking about their mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. I think what happens on some of the pages that are mental health accounts that are not coming from mental health professionals um, is that it can just bombard you with like toxic positivity and it doesn't take into account all the complexities of mental health. Um, and so instead it can be really shaming yeah a friend actually my roommate Shelby and I were just talking about toxic positivity and that I had never even thought about that of like for me being on Instagram and I've said this on my page of like I think Instagram can be very much like the highlight reels of people's lives and so like with me I try to be very vulnerable and open and not just sharing like my quote-unquote wins I want people to see that my life isn't perfect and I think a lot of people who know me personally, like, I feel like you have all these things that are positive and going on. Like, no, there are days when I legitimately fail and lay in my bed and do nothing but binge watch insecure. Like there, <laughs> there's just all these things that happen behind the scenes. But I think when Instagram first started, it was just like a page, to, a place to share photos and, and the positive things. And it, for me over the last eight years, which I can't believe it's been eight years at Instagram since Instagram started. Um, but watching over the eight years of how people have really used that space to curate things that really mean a lot to them. And, you know, having seen accounts that are so positive all the time and you feeling like, what is wrong with me that I can't be this happy all the time? Do, the, do these people actually have like bad things that go on? And, you know, I have one friend that comes to mind um, who their page is like very positive. Um, and like knowing on the other side, like there are days when they like fail and don't do well. And so I just think about that all the time of, am I creating this space where folks can come in their good and their bad days to find either positivity or solidarity? 
um, being able to see someone who is living their life so out loud and, and willing to share both, like I said, the goods and the bads. But yeah, I think about, I, I guess I never thought about it until a couple weeks ago, like how detrimental toxic positivity can be for folks. Yeah, I love that uh, on your Instagram, um, you are so honest. And even though you have these beautiful photos, the captions are really honest. When I first uh, had my daughter, I didn't have like any other friends with kids. Um, and I had a really, really hard time that year. I was experiencing really intense postpartum depression and just chalked a lot of it up to like, well, I guess this is just what motherhood is. Like you're mm. just supposed to be tired and sad all the time. But it would literally, it was so bad that like by four o'clock, I literally could only lay on the floor because I was so exhausted. And um, I would just like scroll through these mom accounts on Instagram like when I was up at night with her trying to get her to go back to sleep. And these accounts all have like these beautiful pictures of motherhood where these moms are just, you know, them and their babies are just dressed in neutrals and there's light coming in through the windows and all of the toys are wooden. And of course, most of them are white moms too, which is important to point out. Um, and I just thought like, that was what motherhood was supposed to be like neutral clothing, like nothing dirty anywhere, um, with like a totally together home, um, and like picking wildflowers. And that was not at all what it was for me. Um, but I didn't really have many other people to actually compare it to. And so now I've gotten to experience, uh, well, I've cut my ties with all the mom Instagram accounts, luckily. Um, and I've gotten to experience a second birth without postpartum depression and seeing what motherhood really could be and just been okay with plastic toys and not wearing neutrals. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that false perception on Instagram can have such a negative effect. And I've really felt and experienced that myself. Yeah. I, I have a friend who actually is pregnant with her second baby. Um, but that's like her Instagram is like very clean, very neutral, all wooden stuff. And I'm always like me, like not having kids, but like having helped other people raise their kids and nanny. And I'm like, it's just how curated things can be. And I'm like, I think now because like I don't have a child and I've seen like how much effort it goes into creating these sort of things. Um, I think for me, it's like being able to take a minute and be like, this is the highlight reel. Like it is okay that this might not look like what it looks like for me if and when I have kids or like, you know, for me, it's a lot of like body positivity stuff. Like I have followed a lot of workout accounts. Like I did like a purge this past summer because it was being bombarded constantly. Like if you're not working out, you're not doing anything and your body's not worthy and blah, blah, blah. But then also like how gatekeepy it could be because like I'm a size 12, 14 right now. So like 
I'm not a straight size, but I'm also not quote like plus size. And it's like this weird midsize and how gatekeepy that can be for people too. So I was like, I'm just going to unfollow things <laughs> that do not bring me joy, that make me feel either shamey or bad in general. And so I feel like that's like a lot of people and what they're doing now, of like the mental health into going on Instagram and being like, it can look like just unfollowing and not and not listening to things and not absorbing things that don't bring you joy. While doing the purge, I started unfollowing a bunch of people and then I felt bad that I was unfollowing them. Like, oh my God, am I a bad person if I unfollow this person? And then like looking like this person doesn't even follow me back or like that I don't. I just like read this quote of like, you can be a kind person with a kind heart and still say no. And so like for me, I'm just like saying no to not absorbing the things that you're posting. But I don't know, like I feel, I often feel guilt of like unfollowing people who follow me back. And I don't know where that guilt or shame comes from. And I, I think sometimes it's, that's a lot. I know where it comes from. I think for me, it was, for me, I feel like I show up for a lot of people, but no one really shows up for me. And so I kind of feel like this is me trying to like, do that for others and so I I think I think about how shamey that can be too of how accessible Instagram is and how it's supposed to be a connector and still I find like guilt and shame in it and so I and I know and I know I'm not the only one but that's something that often comes into my mind too yeah I, I completely feel Instagram shame sometimes um and I think about unfollowing or sometimes I mute if I don't want to fully unfollow, but it's just like a digital boundary. Like Instagram is such a sensitive space. And I think a lot about having an account with a lot of followers, you wield a lot of power and especially thinking about how uh, my particular account has a lot of a lot of trauma survivors who follow me and so I have to be extra sensitive with what I'm posting but yeah I sometimes because what I'm posting is a lot of my own writing and my own way that I think about mental health I can get really sensitive when I feel like other mental health accounts are like trying to say what I said is not right or trying to negate what I said. And so I get a lot of Instagram shame about putting out my own content, but also uh, I do experience that shame in like setting my my Instagram boundaries uh, that can feel really bad, especially like as a recovering people pleaser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and like one of my things too is I was talking to a friend who also has a lot or large following and she was telling me how she has been feeling like she's not sure what to post like to get engagement and it's always funny to me of like the advice you give out is like something you need to hear for yourself and so I was like it's your space like you get to decide what you post and I was like ah like <laughs> how we are like thrust into these situations of like it is so easy for us to like give advice to others and then but like not for us to talk to ourselves like that and so I was like, well, it's your page. Like you get to decide what you post. And I was like, oh, haha, right. Like, so like, I totally feel you of, of sometimes like the other day I had done a post about like how as a black woman in this country, I'm just so exhausted. Like, I think black women are expected to be like the most people pleasing, like make ourselves smaller, change our tone of voice, wear certain things. Like, and I was like, 
I don't owe you anything. I don't owe you nurturing. I don't owe you patience. I don't owe you a different voice. And so for me to be able to just like spit that out and just get that out there and you know, I've been losing followers lately and I'm just like, if you don't like what I'm saying, you can leave. And I think I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm also the same way of like who I am as a person is valuable. And so, yeah, like you were saying, setting those Instagram boundaries of like, we don't have to create or be people pleasing in this space that we have made. We hope that people enjoy it, but at the same time, it's supposed to be like a place of refuge and connection. And yet, Again, it can be so shamey and sometimes isolating if you're trying to spin a certain narrative and, you know, having friends who have met via Instagram are like, oh my gosh, you're the same person in real life that you are on your page. And I'm like, could you imagine if like the idea that people create this whole identity online and then they're completely different people in person, I do not know how folks do that. And that's, that's, that's such an interesting thing to me as well. Yeah, I think about two and feel tender for you in the influx of followers a lot of Black women experienced after the social justice movement or the waking up. Y'all can't see, but those are some really heavy air quotes. (laughs) (laughs) The waking up to social justice this summer. um, I had followed a lot of those accounts already and then to see like the influx that they were experiencing your account included because of some of the beautiful things that you were writing and i feel really tender for you in the new weight that that carried as well and so i think about as you talk about losing followers how people may be followed for a certain period of time to make themselves feel better Mm -hmm. um and then kind of dropped off and so I appreciate that you still continue to bring your authenticity and use your space for what you need it for instead of thinking about how it reads to other people yeah that makes me think of of two things one is the expected like black women are expected to be palatable like a lot of people want us to, like I said, have this certain voice and be like, oh my God, it's okay that you're asking me the same question 15 times because you haven't listened to the last 14. Um, and for me, like I tell people, it's like people like will inbox me and ask me a question and I will graciously say, this is probably a highlight somewhere or it's a podcast episode and I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do it again. Um, and then I also think back to over the summer, this like local brand run by a white woman Um, She wrote this whole post, turn the comments off, which was my first red flag. I feel like if you turn your comments (laughs) off, you know you're saying something that you shouldn't be saying. But uh, she wrote a whole post and she had like two women of color in like two of her shirts, which a whole different discussion. Um, But in her post, it was like, we stand with the Black Lives Matter movement, but what we don't stand with is the way people protest. And it was like this whole thing. And she's like, and if you're upset with that, don't talk to me, talk talk to your local politicians. And I tell people, like, I had just gotten let go from my job, so I had nothing but time. So <laughs> I had reposted it and was like, this this is it. You can't, as a white woman, say you stand with us, but then tell us how to protest. Tell us how to do things. Because for the last 400 years, we have tried to fall in line and do what y'all want us to do, and you haven't listened. So the only way y'all have been listening is when we destroy, air quotes, destroy a target or protest on the highway. But on the other side, we've seen other people 
white people in particular who have been protesting about masks with like guns at the Texas Capitol. But everyone's like, they're just, ex- they're just expressing themselves. I'm like, do y'all know, do you not see it? Do you not understand <laughs> how this is literally racism in your post? Like you can't say that one way of protesting is right and the other isn't. And so with me, like I told her, like I wrote a whole thing about it and she took down the post. And then she responded to me via like an Instagram message. And it's like, I hear you. I didn't understand blah, 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 blah. Um, I know it's not your job to educate me, but can you tell me blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you, do, do you realize what you just said? <laughs> I was like, uh, hi, it is in a highlight on my podcast or you can pay me my consulting fee. And <laughs> that was that. And I haven't heard from her since, but I think also like the performativeness of it too, like you were saying of like the, people who followed these accounts to like make themselves feel better or to get diversity or what have you. Then I tell people like, I am okay with you leaving because this, like my account doesn't serve you anymore. Like I get that this may not be what you want to see anymore. Um, But I think it's been interesting to see the amount of people who have found joy at the same time in my stuff. Like there was this mom, this black mother who was like, my daughter looks up to you so much. And for me, I'm like, I'm just a girl trying to get by like everybody else. But she was like, for you to be so honest and so open and not be apologetic for any piece of who you are and and really sticking true to to what you post. And like you're saying, I post really beautiful photos. Shout out to Shelby for being my photographer. (laughs) But with these quotes of like, if, and I have to say like, if my, if me sharing my story gives someone else the courage to share theirs, I've done everything that I'm meant to do in my life. Um, So I think about that often too of, these things that I'm creating and posting and sharing, um, I hope that someone finds joy in it and to hear that people are and and are really um, using it in in their storytelling, but at the same time realizing and finding it funny how me sharing my story makes people feel some type of way with their stuff. And, you know, we just had the election a week ago, two weeks ago, um, and, you know, how people are feeling like, the protests coming from that sort of stuff and how I have been very vocal on my political standings. And so, yeah, I just, I just think of, you know, it is not my job to make people happy as a also recovering people pleaser. Um, And so I think of that too, like how Instagram has helped me find and share my voice and then also encourage others to, to use and share theirs. Yeah. And I think the way that you share the beautiful photos that hold your joy and then that you can at the same time hold your pain in the captions that you write is one of the best things about how you're using your voice. We get to see your Black joy and we're lucky to get to see that. And then we also get to hear and really listen to the pain that you hold too. And you show us that it's okay to hold both of those things at once. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I, 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 I'm doing what I can and during these really unprecedented times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I, I, I guess I want to circle back to like, how has you creating this space? How has that like, have you, have you seen people be like positively engaged, negatively engaged? Like, what does that look like? And I think it's always interesting, like for folks who have like larger accounts, like I always say anyone over 10 K 
um, these larger accounts who often I think feel like you were saying before, like perpetually more under a microscope of what am I going to say? What am I going to do? And still staying true to what you want to do. So I think for me, the question that I have is how has you like setting these boundaries while also creating the space to share how have you seen like a huge shift since because I feel like you really like grew over the last year too of um, especially like over the summer and with uh, everything going on with COVID and everyone being in the house we should also be washing our hands and wearing masks um, yes <laughs> I, I yeah I guess just like how how has that kind of shaped what what you continue to do within your platform well the thing that I feel really strange about is that my account grew a lot because I was one of the first mental health accounts to make a comment or write a post after George Floyd's murder. And I just, I've written about social justice stuff before, but I had created like a resource list of readings. And then I had written a post um, that said like, if you can scroll by without experiencing grief or something like that, you have privilege, mm. Black Lives Matter, something like that. And I spelled privilege wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, I started that, that reading list started like going viral. And then I realized like, oh shit, I'm a white person and my George Floyd commentary is going viral. Like I didn't prepare for this. I didn't, I didn't want this to happen. Like we're supposed to be listening to black voices right now. And so I had this weird thing of like, it's my job to say something because I have a platform, but my voice is not the one that you should be listening to. And so as I've moved through after that, um, I've been recognizing how to continue to use my account for social justice, um, but trying to stick more to social justice within the mental health space, mm. because there are so many problematic things just within the mental health space around adequate care for, um, for BIPOC folks, um, accessibility of mental health care, all of that. I tried to shift to just talking about um, social justice within the mental health care space, like how therapists are not properly trained to work with BIPOC folks, um, thinking about the dichotomy of um, therapists who might support Donald Trump and um, thinking about how we have to be active in politics and social justice as therapists. And so that was that was sort of the shift in my account. And people get really pissed off when I do write about social justice and politics on a mental health account. Like I had tagged CPTSD, which is complex trauma on one post about how therapists can't separate themselves from politics. And somebody commented, I am so mad. I clicked on the tag CPTSD and this is what I find. I am so angry at this. You should stick to your lane. <laughs> and I was like, you're welcome to mute me. <laughs> um, this is what I do here. 
so that's been a really interesting, an interesting piece to figure out using my voice as a white advocate and not overstepping my bounds or taking up the voices of um, Black activists that we should be listening to. I'm trying really hard not to laugh at the anger of like, you could just like not be here, right? Like, I think that's like, just because like, that's where I bring the situations of like, why waste the energy when you could just like not say anything and move on? But it's all for me, for me, it's been fascinating of like the how negative and like just rude people can be because of I think people think they have so much access to you that they know you because of your social media. So that's why I'm like giggling of like you could just like like you're saying, you could just mute me and and keep moving and the yeah, that yeah, it's just and I think we see this in politics all the time. Like anyone who has some sort of like following or um fame like a lot of the athletes and actors and people like that are like just do what you do bounce a ball or read a script and that's all I'm like you know these people are like actual people right <laughs> like we we can walk and chew gum at the same time so that's just always something that makes me sort of giggle um but yeah I I thank you so much for today's conversation I will be sure to link all your stuff in the show notes um, is there anything you want to plug before I ask our final question? Well, just for folks who may be looking for accessible mental health care, um, check out Inclusive Therapists, um, which is a directory that vets mental health professionals um, to assure that they're aligned with social justice and are adequate to work with um, BIPOC folks, um, LGBTQIA+, um, and any other marginalized populations. Um, and then if you are needing a sliding scale therapist, openpathcollective.org is your go-to directory for sliding scale. And you can always, um, on the inclusive therapist directory, compare to Open Path to see if those mental health professionals are located on both directories if you're not sure if somebody is vetted. I love that. Uh, as you know, at the end of each episode, I like to ask a sort of palate cleanser question. Um, and the question is, what is the best advice you've ever been given or what's a piece of advice you would give to your younger self? Oof, that's a really good one. And I have been stewing on it. And yet <laughs> now it feels inaccessible. This comes not from her in particular, but I was very lucky that when I was working with um, Girl Scouts Beyond Bars, which is a Girl Scout troop for girls whose mothers are incarcerated, we got to go see Michelle Obama speak. And so I got to go see it with the girls that I was working with. And so just hearing Michelle Obama say this in the presence of the other girls, even though I'm guessing it came from Michelle Obama's therapist or somebody else close to her. Um, but I think of it, I think specifically of Michelle Obama saying it when I say it to myself, which is put your oxygen mask on yourself first. The best advice ever, honestly. Yeah. 
Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Tea with Brie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Tea with Brie and visit the website at theteawithbreepodcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I will talk to y'all next week. Bye.